Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome back, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. Wanted to mention Grimm and their awesome crossbow product, uh, which is just now hitting the market. And if you're looking to test your security architecture, you should look no further than Grimm and Crossbow. And we'll talk, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I really like this product, uh, Michael, primarily because there's a whole story behind it and uh, the potential category they can create, uh, which is interesting. Which I won't necessarily share the whole thing on air. I shared with you some of that story this morning. Um, so uh, I think uh, Crossbow is going to be um, really awesome in terms of solving that problem of, is are my security solutions working? And if they're not, where, where are they falling down? And, and I think yep. there, there hasn't been uh, too many products on the market to address that issue. And uh, I was excited to, uh, to hear their announcement at, at DEF CON this year and, and continue to help them promote it. Also, uh, I'd like to promote a webcast, DomainTools.com forward slash Security Weekly. Joff Thire, myself, Tim and Kyle from Domain Tools will be presenting on getting rid of those bad domains and IP addresses in your environment, doing that in an open source and easy way as well as exploring some of the benefits of using Domain Tools Iris. So make sure you check that out. Alrighty, G's new CEO and his communication techniques. Yeah, you know it's it's amazing. Uh, we all still talk about uh, Jack Welch as as you know the CEO, and I and, and Emil has been in there for a really, 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 really long time. Well, he's out, so there's a new one. And what I love about this is that when when you go look at it, he basically says, "All right, look, if you want to be the CEO of GE, you've got to be." one hell of a communicator like that's table stakes to get in and and he opens up his letter on his first day and says i have focus on three things that's it and and what people will say is well but hold on why went there more why don't you do more if you've ever worked with me i talk about threes and fives so the thing that's interesting about it and, and that's that's really it like in terms of what he was excited about and everything else he was he was there that's fine it's it's a neat read if you've if you've studied this it's great it does say that by the way they considered 23 different people wow. for the role of CEO at GE and they were all unparalleled communicators now typically you're going to say that but let's be fair mm -hmm. if you're going to be at that level you you've got to be really good if you're in security today you need to be able to communicate so when you say to somebody, all right, let me give you all the reasons. Here's 17 reasons, or you haven't thought them out. You haven't distilled down. They're not going to pay attention. Now, David Letterman popularized the top 10 list, and we always went, oh, I give you top 10 list. No, I can't remember it. I can't Even if it's funny, even if all 10 are funny, you can't remember it. Turns out, typically, we can remember about three things. Now, you can argue you can remember four. You can argue you can remember five. There's, um, uh, if you ever did um, Dale Carnegie's How, How to Win, win friends, friends and Influence, and influence people. people, he talks about six. A list of six. Um, most people who know me know that I am I am pretty aggressive on three, and sometimes I'll do five. 
And then what I do to get around it is like you can have three things and then it can each have three subs. That's fine. You can, you can totally do that because what you're doing is I'm giving you a headline of three things, three things that matter. So what I always tell people is do three. If you can't do three, do five. Don't do four. Don't do two. Don't do six. Do three or do five. GE's guy, right? Probably one of the better communicators in the world said, yeah, I'm going to do three. I want people to understand that we've got three things. That's it. That's all we're going to do. We're three things. If we do these three things, we're going to be in good shape. And you now, know, without this is why this like, becomes important. Knowing that, Michael, and having you put that in my head, I'm a huge fan of threes. And when you saw our sales presentation this morning, you'll notice there's a group of three and then another group of I three did. and another I loved group it. of three. I totally loved it. Yeah, no, it's, that's, and that's why, you know, it's, and that's why threes I, I got it. Yes. But, well, yeah, and you've got a lot of experience in this. I mean, if you go look at commercial marketing, they give you a list of three. Sometimes they'll give you a list of five. Every now and then there's the one thing, right? There's a call out here. There's a this or whatever. But that's that's the way it goes, and that's okay. Like, that's healthy. That's that's how these things work, and that's that's perfectly okay. Where it matters then is that if you're a startup, what are the three reasons that this person you're presenting to needs to know? Or what are the three things that drive you? If you're in the enterprise today, what, what does your team do? I, I talked to a lot of people uh, at the executive level, and I'll say, what are your initiatives for the year? And what I find is kind of fascinating is that if it's really the executive suite, they, they're pretty much dialed in. I got to do X, I got to do Y, I got to Z. If you go and you ask the security folks, you go, all right, what are the things you're trying to get done this year? Oh, Michael, I've got so many. I got like 20 things. And then this guy's got 20. I worked with the team earlier this year. They had like 37 initiatives this year. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, I said, can you possibly accomplish those? I don't know. I said, well, hold on. Like, why don't we go back, right? The Department of Labor tells us there's 1,856 hours per year per person. And that's before you account for time off and all sorts of other stuff in in trivia. I said, why don't we just say it's 1,400 hours per person? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, how many hours do you have allocated to those projects, those 37 projects? How many people do you have on your team? And is there a mismatch? Oh, yeah. By the way, huge mismatch. They, they didn't yeah. know the answer to it. Well, I said, okay, well, what are the that... top three initiatives of the company? Yeah. And how do you align with those? And I think that when people ask us, how do I communicate with the business leaders, that rule of threes, well, might sound a little corny, right? Uh, especially if you're in a technical job and you're like, I got these 37 things I defined, boil them down into three when you go talk to your business leaders, I, I think, because that's more of the way that they're thinking. And if you can align it to the three things that they're thinking about as well, even better. Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly right. And, and if you can't, then you, you know, then give me three reasons why. So here's the thing: people have heard me say it for years, but I, I just wanted to point out that some of the best communicators in the world, some of the best leaders in the world, they use three. And does it take work to get down to the three things? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Hundred percent. All right, this next one I threw in for you: tools. Um, we haven't done a tools list in a while, mm. so this is the ten tools to streamline your sales process. Um, it gives us some names, and so I was kind of curious. So it says uh, Salesforce. You and I both, right? So I've, I've, I have a love-hate relationship with CRMs, and um, I'm back to just hating them and not doing it. Um, You're not alone. You're Salesforce. Not alone. Yeah, and and you know what? We we keep talking about bringing somebody on. We're gonna have to get somebody on to talk about the challenges, like the real challenges of CRMs, because mm-hmm. you, you can't go a day without somebody talking about it. But they basically said, okay, uh, you need Salesforce. Um, HubSpot. Have you used HubSpot? Oh, you know, what HubSpot I just want to go back to uh, Salesforce because I think that. Um, they're in the book Play Bigger and was listening to that with kind of like a, a, a chip on my shoulder almost against Salesforce and, and not what they're doing because they, they do have a great product. However, uh, it's not a fit for everyone. What I've experienced in the number of businesses that I've had the discussion, many of them I own, that when we talk about what we should use for a CRM, Salesforce is still on the high price side 
in, in value side, really, for a smaller organization. And it is uh, not only the monetary, like, hard cost, but the cost of implementing it is really high. It's really, like, super complex. Like, it's a huge time buy-in. And when you're a small organization, even a startup, I, those two things are going to hold you back. Now, what your investors are likely going to say is, well, if you want to play with the big boys and girls, you have to use Salesforce. And I'm like, oh, okay, like I get it. And yes, I'm setting myself up for a big you know, project, but um, that's kind of my, I think there's a lot of better options for smaller startup type businesses since we're on Startup Security Weekly other than Salesforce. If they're the category king though, Michael, who's the prince, right? And, and that's where I, I think we can have a lot of debate in that, in that space. Maybe there's two categories. Maybe there's a smaller business CRM that that is the leader in that category, and maybe there's a larger one. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I think you're right, because what I've started to notice is that there's people will say, okay, well, we're, we're the Google Apps or the G Suite CRM. Well, we're the Office 365 CRM. Well, we're the small business CRM. Yeah. We're the whatever CRM. But, you know, it's kind of funny is, is I've looked at the same way. I'll tell you that the thing that, that kind of caught me, so most of the CRMs will say, we'll give you 30 days for free, mm-hmm. and then you can pay as you go by the month, and as soon as you're not happy with it, you can back out. And it's great, because you needed some time, and, and most of these CRMs, like I'd spend time, i try to get it figured out, and it uh, just kind of blow up. The other thing I've learned is, if you want to use a CRM, you really have to understand your process. You have to know how it works. you got to have a way of tracking it, understanding it, and man, there's just so many questions that, that you don't know when you go into it, and you're like, well, I, I don't really know how I'm going to work, right? Which is a pro and a con. Where I've kind of come back around to it is go, yeah, all right, to your point, yeah, I'm going to have to just invest in Salesforce. But in, Salesforce wants their money up front. I don't blame them. I think it's a great strategy. So they want their money up front. You don't really get a sense of whether it works or not. You got to buy all sorts of other stuff to it. You got to really invest the time to figure it out. And for me, it's like learning a new language. And so it's mm-hmm. like, um, hmm, okay, let's go figure those pieces out. So yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, but I can see how this will make a difference from a sales perspective because I got to tell you, and you and I have already talked about this, if you go to, the, in fact, we got another story that's going to come up on this. If you say to somebody, what's the average time from first contact to close deal? Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay, well, you should, right? And ideally, your CRM is going to help you do that. How many calls or touch points do you have to have with a customer or a client before they convert? Mm. Oh, I, I don't know. No, guys, you need to know that stuff. And the other thing I found, especially with people who understand how to use Salesforce, is you should be able to show me the 20% of your clients that are generating the most, and you go focus on those. Or right. if you're a large organization, you can show me the reps that are selling the best, and I can go see how they're using Salesforce, right? Stuff like that. So there's a lot of really good insights from it. I can totally see how that works. HubSpot. Have you used HubSpot? I have not. Are you familiar with them? Are you familiar uh, I've with heard them? of them before, yeah. They also have a CRM, apparently. It's, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting strategy how they're trying to do stuff. Uh, I actually tested out their CRM, and mm-hmm. um, it, it was interesting. HubSpot's really expensive, and what, they, what they, they're all about, and I, I might get their stuff wrong, I'm going to call it automated inbound marketing. So the idea is you pay HubSpot. Now, I think it's very expensive for, for startups and small businesses, but depending on the ticket size of what you're selling and what your mm-hmm. volume is, mm-hmm. I think in some circumstances it pays for itself. And the idea is excuse me, somebody comes to your website, you get a sense of where they are, what they're looking at, and you can send them the appropriate content, but then you follow up with them based on where they were. So if you understand what the customer journey is like, and you understand the questions that they're going to have, and you understand how all those pieces come together, well, then you can, you can serve that up for them. And it's, it's on, it's demand, right? It's inbound. And it just, it, it serves it up so that by the time they're ready to buy, 
you've educated them, you've answered their questions, you've given them control over what the process looks like, and it should ease conversion. I like it in theory. It's really expensive. And so you've got to ask yourself how many how many customers you're serving at a time before you really need something like this. But that said, um, there's all right, there's HubSpot and then and then you've got others. So if you're more uh, and I, and I appreciate I'm probably going to screw up some of the categories here, but Marketo mm-hmm. does uh, stuff around this. Eloqua, uh, big right, the bigger companies are using Eloqua. There's a lot of stuff you can do now if you're using WordPress um, in different ways that you can kind of make some of this work yourself. So it's just, but it's if you're not paying attention to it, it's kind of interesting. So I thought it was neat. Salesloft was a new one that I didn't know. Uh, and it's it's helping you get information about people. So I, I'm going to be a little different. I'm just going to say, so it's basically, you know, OSINT, um, but, you know, commercialized, which is which is cool, I guess. Um, the uh, I would use number five, well, LinkedIn, for that. I think LinkedIn is great for a lot yeah. of stuff. Um, what, what I'm starting to get annoyed by, I don't know if it's happening to you, uh, people will say, hey, I saw you on LinkedIn, and like they'll send me a, an email. And I, I, don't, I don't bother responding, right? Because it's, it's like, it, it doesn't fit anything I'm doing. It's like, does this strategy ever work for you? And now I'm noticing it's like, you must be on vacation because you didn't respond to me yet. But I sent you an email four days ago about how I found you on LinkedIn, and you're perfect for what I want to do. So you should, you uh, should explore. It's the oh, spray dude, and stop. pray. Just, it, well, there's a lot of spray and uh, pray on LinkedIn. Uh, which you got sure you, you can't be that on LinkedIn. No, Boomerang. Do you use Boomerang? I don't. So the idea, the idea for Boomerang is that you can do follow-ups. You can do follow-up emails, and you can remember it. So like, I, I can be like, okay, I'll follow up with you in two weeks. Boom, and and you kind of get it set up and queued up, and then in two weeks it fires off on its own. Um, I've always thought things with this were interesting. So that you can schedule stuff and you can kind of keep in touch and it's a good way to kind of keep everything moving. Um, I haven't used it myself. Number seven, we both use Calendly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love this because, you know, if you think about trying to arrange time with people, right, the the, the classic way is we go back and forth over emails or we go back and forth over a phone call, whatever else. What's great about Calendly is that somebody can just kind of, you know, pop in a time that works for them. Now, when these things started, they were really clunky. What I find now is... They remember enough about your schedule and, and your preferences that it, it gets really easy to do it. What, I, what I'll what i admit, though, is I'm actually right now looking at Acuity scheduling instead mm-hmm. of Calendly because of number eight. Number eight says you should use Zoom. I'm watching everybody kind of flock to Zoom. So right now, I have a subscription to GoToMeeting. Yep. Actually, I have GoToWebinar. Yep. And GoToWebinar includes GoToMeeting. And one of the things I love about Calendly is you can just automatically generate GoToMeeting meetings within Calendly. So mm-hmm. somebody registers your time, they get their own stuff, it sends it, it's reminders, it's all fantastic. Well, there's two things I can't do then with Calendly. One, I can't charge anybody for the time. And I'm getting enough interest in having some ad hoc coaching and some subscription coaching. Mm-hmm. Well, Acuity says, hey, look, we'll integrate with Stripe. I love Stripe. We integrate with Stripe. And, uh, and you could totally charge for that. And then we'll meter what they do and how it works and everything else. Now, I haven't completely unpacked it, but that's kind of interesting to me. Oh, and P.S., we natively integrate with Zoom. Well, Calendly does not yet. They, it's, on their, it's on their roadmap. Um, and I've really loved working with Calendly. They've been great. So here's the thing. Um, I don't know what you're paying, but the, the subscription for GoToMeeting, well, GoToWebinar slash GoToMeeting mm-hmm. is anywhere between like 60 and 100 bucks a month, depending on what you're trying to get accomplished. Zoom is like, 20 bucks a month hmm. and zoom lets multiple people have cameras now one of the things i've noticed is um is i, I actually use go to meeting more than i use go to webinar and i if i do a one-to-one coaching call with somebody you can turn the camera on and you can see each other what i've started to notice is that when i do some of these smaller group facilitations right we call them workshops virtual workshops 
I actually want everybody to have their camera on because I want to see them. I want to see them as they're talking, but also I don't want them playing solitaire or playing with their phone or doing seven other things. I kind of want them paying attention. Zoom is great for that. And you can record on Zoom and it's like a third of the cost of go to meeting. So because I'm looking at trying out Zoom, uh, it's actually forcing me to reevaluate whether Calendly works for me or not. Just now don't, you don't use, use go to meeting. Are you happy with it? Yeah. Just don't use Skype for business. Yeah, you know it's funny. I looked at that real quick. We have, I have, I have, I had at one point both um, G Suite and Office 365, and I started noticing something recently for me. Uh, a lot of the collaboration I was trying to do with clients, and a lot of the collaboration I was trying to do with writing, uh, I would send somebody a, a G Suite link, and I say, "Oh, sorry, we can't do that. We we blocked it at our domain. We we can't do it." There were enough attack vectors that people mm-hmm. shot all that down. And they'd say, can you just send it to me in Word? And I'd be like, okay. And I started noticing I was creating a lot of stuff in G Suite and then converting it to Word and then either trying to convert it back or use it. And I finally said, you know what? How about I just switch over? And so uh, the last couple of months, I've actually switched over to Office 365. And I have to tell you, Microsoft's approach to this stuff has been absolutely fantastic because they keep rolling out new stuff. Now, is it great? No, not all of it. Is it largely good? Yes. But to your point, did I look at Skype for business? Yes. Did I quickly figure out that wasn't going to work? Also, yes. <laughs> like, no, you know, and so it's, uh, so it's interesting. Prezi, um, this one I disagree with. Please don't, please, please don't, please don't. Um, I, I think people overuse PowerPoint as it is. Prezi is a way to slick it up. There's a bunch of others that have come out over the years. And uh, so they have these neat new wipes and I can go here and we can bounce all around. And it's, you're watching this and you're getting sick as somebody's trying to talk to you. <laughs> There's a funny Just, story about me and Prezi. John, oh, John, some, we were presenting at a conference, and John had some kind of conflict and couldn't be there, and sent me the presentation in Prezi, and I, I had no idea what any of it meant, <laughs> like none, none, and it's just been a running joke that that I hate Prezi, and to this day I I still do. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm sure someone right now is, is screaming about how awesome it is, yeah, and, and sure. they really love it. That's great. And if, you know what? if it's for it, you, it's then, then use it. You know what? That's, it's just that's it's exactly just right for me. And as far as presentation tools go, and I know a lot of people are going to hate this as well. I switched to Google Slides primarily because yeah, um, yep, I, I can edit and load them from anywhere, and that's really what I need. I love I loved Keynote. Uh, there was some uh, backwards compatibility that Apple horribly broke. Uh, in yep. Keynote that caused issues for me, and uh, the newer version broke some functionality that I used, and I was like, you know what? It's up on Google Slides, and if I need to share it with someone, I can share it, and we can collaborate, and boom. It's awesome. Yep. Nope, I like it. Yeah, Not as many features. I mean, that's the struggle with Google Slides, and one of the reasons why people like things like Prezi is the features are limited, but I, I don't know. I think you just well, I, to I was just going to point out that I that I actually like that. I actually prefer that the yeah. features are limited because then you get to focus on your message. Like seriously, if you've got a choice, in fact, I remember, do you remember uh, the name Cliff Stoll? So yeah, he wrote oh Cuckoo's yeah. Egg? Oh yeah. All right. I mean, we've been doing this long enough, right? So, so in the nineties, he actually did a lot more talking. And I, I remember being back when it was still Anderson Consulting, he came in, he did, he did an event. And if I've never talked about this publicly, it was fascinating because um, he came in, he was barefoot. Um, and, and the deal was uh, no no projector. So he just had like, if you remember like the overheads, like you had the gel, mm-hmm. the acetate you put on top of it and mm-hmm. the markers. I think he did one diagram. Uh, he had to have a quart of chocolate milk and about halfway through, he literally guzzled a quart of chocolate milk. It was the most fascinating thing in the world. He'd like jump up on tables and whatever else. But I remember him saying about PowerPoint, you know, 20, 25 years ago was, I've never seen a life change because it had the latest diamond wipe 
slide, mm-hmm. transition, whatever. Nobody's been wowed because you had the perfect headline or you got the right graphic or whatever. He's like, they, they care about what you have to say. Do you have something yeah. of value? Add that, do that, boom, make it work. And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think it works. Now, DocuSign, I think y- you've suggested this to me, haven't you? Sure. DocuSign is great. Uh, I also use uh, an OS ten program called PDF Pen. Because there's no, yep. Need, yep. no need for a fax machine ever, ever again. No. Yeah. I Please, no. Please, no. Yeah. 1995 called it. <laughs> yeah. Technology yeah. back. So, all right. Well, that's, that's a lot of stuff there. This other one I really enjoyed today. Um, and it looks like the link that I gave people didn't work. I'm going to either um, Harvard has changed their links. Uh, this is a Harvard Business Review. The title's correct. It's high-performing teams need psychological safety. Here's how to create it. This is so important. One of the things we talk about a lot uh, on this program, one of the things we talk about a lot in security, one of the things we talk a lot about in my practice is trust and being able to work as part of a team and needing to be able to trust each other. And one of the things, of course, I offer people is the ability to elevate performance. And I go, what does that mean? And that's, that's where we have to start figuring this out. So here's what psychological safety is. It means that you're not going to be punished if you make a mistake. Oh, it's a belief that you won't be punished if you make a mistake. Now, I always want to caveat this. Can you make a crucial mistake that gets you fired? Yes. But this goes hand in hand with accountability. If, if you get to real accountability, what people want is the ability to take responsibility for their actions and then be held accountable. But, but we often say, well, they're accountable because they screwed up. What if they did well? Did they get to they? Do they get that as well? That's what people want. When you're talking about having psychological safety, what you're saying is somebody knows they can speak their mind. In fact, I, I'm working with the team right now. It's so remarkable how well they do this. They disagree so agreeably. It's not passive aggressive. It's not, okay, Paul, fine. You know what? We just, we're going to have to agree to disagree. They'll say, Paul, I don't agree. Here's why. Here's what I think. Here's why. The other person says, oh, well, I see your point. I don't agree with it. Here's why. But, and that's how they operate. Like, it's not an act. Like, they, they have the ability to speak their mind, to disagree, to try something. And then this is what I always love. If that team says, all right, well, let's try it. Let's try it, right? Think about what we just talked about de-risking. Let's try it. Let's go measure it. Let's go see where that works. Uh, okay, okay, cool, right? So I, I really like that. And it's what this does is it goes into it and it talks about how, how do you do this? How do you use these relationships? How do you use those positive emotions that lets you build trust, that lets you foster curiosity, that lets you have confidence? By the way, what do we think about when we talk about security? I've, I've asked people for the last two years now, every time somebody says, well, we got a shortage. What do you think the, in fact, I'm curious, I don't know if you and I've talked about this. What do you think one of the most important factors is if somebody wants to get started in security today? Don't worry about skills. I don't care whether where they went to college, if they went to college or anything else. Attributes. What do they need to have? Is it a, is it an integrity? Is it a grit? Is it a tenacity? What is it? What do you, what would you say? Willingness you think to is learn new things. Yeah, uh, which is a curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and that's what we keep coming up. So you know, if you think about this, you want to be successful in security today. You want to be successful. You want your startup to be successful. You need to you need to have things like trust and curiosity and, and work in these types of things. And that's how people do it. So anyway, it, there, there's good stuff. There's a bunch of ideas in here, including, right, speak human to human. Like, talk to people. I, I've gone through different stages. Um, I appreciate the virtual nature. I appreciate I'm on the, on the beach. I appreciate I, I got four kids, so I, I try to minimize time away. I'll tell you something that's new with me now, though, is, is any chance I can to go work with a client face-to-face and work with a team face-to-face, I take it. And, and then we can do stuff virtually, but I still like re, reconnecting face-to-face is so much more 
important. And then when you realize that they're people that, and, and that there's different things that they do and, and you, you can relate to them as people, uh, it makes such a difference. So I think that's, uh, I think that that's important. And I, there's, there's a bunch of other things in there that I thought really good. Um, the six must reads, if you're at a startup with 30 or more people. So there are a couple of things that caught up to me here. And I really like this. Um, 30 to 50 people is where you go from being a family to being a company and everything starts to get really hard. Yeah. By the way, I've talked to a lot of people in the security space that had a team of three people uh, three years ago, and now their team is 24. Mm-hmm. And when they joined, there were 24. Now there's 300. Yeah. So these things, a lot of the stuff that we put in there, it's taking a look at how you can get this done. And I wanted to point something else because I'm pretty sure you and I talked about this on air uh, somewhere in the last couple of months. But one of their quick bullet points on this is um, research service, but I'm, I'm quoting, uh, organizational culture consultant Sheila Margolis, that the best size of a group for decision-making is five. Now, she said it's 4.6, it's five. Mm-hmm. But after which the, the number of possible social interactions begin to explode. And we've talked about this. This is, this is not new. This isn't, this is, uh, I've known this for 20 years. It's the right, right size to do a startup. It's the right size to have a team. It's the right size to work on a project. It's the right size to do breakouts. It's the right size uh, for any of these types of things. So I thought it was neat. So, so there's a ton of stuff in here um, about things that you can do. And one of the ones that I really liked was give oh. each person $30 to spend on features. Interesting. I love that. I like the two pizza team. I think it's a great, great yep. concept. It's a good rule, isn't it? Uh, Jeff yeah. Bezos, is that, was that his thing? Yeah, if, if if you can't feed the team with two pizzas, the team's too big. Yeah, he said yeah, I t- uh, I totally between agree. six and ten people. But I like the culture that creates, like, your collaboration team's going to be sharing pizza, right? I like it. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Um, th- there's a bunch of questions in here that I like, right? What would be what would be stupid for us not to do in the next 90 days? Um, I think that's really good, you know. But, like, this idea of giving people $30 to invest, what I really like about it is, if you give people dollars, real dollars, and you see where they vote with their dollars, what a difference. Uh, that, I, I think that makes a, a really good idea. Um, the other piece that I'll put here, too, and uh, we need to bring Matt Alderman back and, and have this conversation with him a little bit, too. Nail your positioning statement. But here's what I really like. You might be revisiting your position statement around 30 employees, but not creating one. You need to have a positioning statement before you hit... 30 people, right. but so many people don't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of things around positioning in, in, uh, Al Trot and I've, I've got the book behind me, right? The immutable uh, positioning and, and everything else. So it's got some insights in there, by the way, this works. Even if you're internal, your team needs to be a positioning statement. You have to think these things through and, and, and that's just it, kind it of It wouldn't be that... a show if we didn't mention Shark Tank. And if you watch the show closely, you can see them having a discussion about the positioning of the company and if they're at two opposite ends of the spectrum the investors like at some point they're like nope i'm out and and a lot of times they're out because they've just fundamentally disagreed about the positioning of the company and that's yeah in fact you you don't want an investor kevin and mark do that yes exactly yeah mark Mark is is, is, yeah and kevin both will do that more often than not yeah yeah no and and uh as you put out on facebook um we, we got to get one of them on the program oh, yeah. for certain oh, yeah, for or sure. for all of them on the program for certain. Cause I, I think it'd be fun. Absolutely. Um, by the way, it says you need to designate somebody to be in charge of security. If even part-time um, you look you and I've been doing this long enough. Anytime you do something part-time, it means it's not really done full-time and that means it's easy to neglect. But, but here's what I like. 
This is a mainstream article about startups. And one of the things we've said before is that we're looking at the security of business and the business of security. If you don't have to be a security startup to listen to the show and learn from it. And if you are a security startup, by the way, who's focusing on your security? So I, it's good. It's good, man. I, I, I like this. Anyway, I think it's good stuff. There's, there's a whole bunch of others in there. And then they, it has links to all sorts of other stuff. Is there anything that stood out to you? Beyond the two pizza rule that you thought was no, kind of like... I just, I like the two pizza rule. Uh, I got to go back and digest those. There's a lot of stuff in that article. There, There is. And that's why I just want to call, call out a couple of things mm. that I thought were really kind of interesting in it. All right. Last piece. Uh, another of the Tomas Tungos. Uh, it's good stuff. This is a cash conversion cycle. But here's what I want to point out to it. It's understanding, right? So the cash conversion cycle, and this is for a software company in specific, it's your sales cycle plus your accounts receivable latency minus your accounts payable latency. So basically, how long does it take you to convert somebody from the first engagement to they signed a contract? How long does it take from when they sign the contract to when you get paid, right? So that's the receivable latency. And then how long does it take you from when you get a bill to, excuse me, when you pay it? The reason this starts to matter is, um, and it's got some different examples in here where like your cycle might be 45 days. So like every 45 days, right? That means that you're getting money in, but it's got a long cycle example. It's 330 days. Mm -hmm. Might as well call that a year. So wait, so, so you're telling me I, what this matters is how quickly do you get your cash back? Right. How quickly do you have money you can reinvest in something else versus how long is your money tied up? And that's going to influence things like your raises, um, your uh, funding raises and what you go and look for. It's going to influence your liquidity. It's going to influence your decision-making. I mean, this is why sometimes you have to have a longer cycle. It sucks. By the way, uh, I would argue if you're on the long side of that cycle, do everything in your power to get to the shorter side of that cycle. But that's me. I, I don't like those long cycles. I, I think you can make the point. Anyway, I, just, I wanted to point that out because as you and I have now said a couple times this program, you and I run across people who don't know those answers. They need to know those answers. They become really important. You can invest in some stocks, Michael? The, I'm curious what you think about this. Um, and I, I'm going to pull it up real quick too. Uh, so it basically said, here's three cybersecurity stocks to buy now. I, I'm trying to remember where this came across. And if you pull it up, it's one of those things that jumps right into the, the video. So that's always really fun. But what they basically said is, you know, by the way, um, this is a hot, hot market. So, you know, you know, I always point this out. It's not hot. It's totally hot. It's not hot. It's totally hot. Um, this just came out and, and they said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, security matters. And, uh, right. All right. I'm just going to point this out. Cybercrime costs the global economy between $450 billion and $600 billion a year. Hey, how big is our global economy? Do you know? I wrote about this. No idea. I'm not expecting that you, you read it. Um, I've got this from memory, but it's like somewhere close to 80 to $90 trillion a year. Do you know what $450 billion out of out of the global economy is as a percentage? Small? Yeah, it's like half of a percent. Gotcha. Um, in, in other words, okay. Mm. Shrug. Right, it's not a big deal. That said, uh, is security spend on the rise? Yes, and then so they're talking about all sorts of really numbers in it, and they say so. Here, here's where you should spend your money um, if you're going to invest in a stock. We're, we're, they're saying that right now, 86 billion dollars are spent on security a year, and by 2020, it's going to go up to over 100 billion dollars a year spent, and that cybersecurity firms are going to make the most of the money. And so it says the three you should do: Palo Alto Networks, Checkpoint. Uh, and Cisco Systems. Now, what's interesting is you and I covered Palo Alto in the last couple of weeks. They mm -hmm. set up a $100 million fund. 
And Cisco is one of the next stories we're going to talk about today. And they uh, are acquiring people uh, left and right. Like it feels almost like Cisco has renewed its push into security. I'm sure well, yeah, someone's I bristling think at trying that. To, but they're trying to re, they're trying to redefine themselves and redefine likely some of the categories in, in security. I, I won't make any investment advice at all. Like I'm I'm not just not comfortable doing that ever. Really, probably. Uh, it's just not my thing. Uh, I do have my opinions about the success of those companies in their position in the market, which doesn't necessarily mean you should invest in them or not. Just want to put that out there. Um, I think Palo Alto has a really great opportunity um, to uh, own some categories in, in own some spaces and, and, and really do well in the market. I think Cisco, like I said, is trying to reinvent themselves inside of security. Remains to be seen whether or not they're going to be successful doing that. Uh, Checkpoint has a lot of great solutions. I, I don't, I haven't seen much from them lately personally, um, but they do have some great uh, solutions in the market and, and I have talked to happy customers well, uh, of Checkpoint. Th that's th what I can say about those three companies. Investment, I don't know. Well, I don't and, know. and I'll, I'll tell you the thing. So let's go back to our play bigger, right? The, the Checkpoint was the category king. If you mm -hmm. had a firewall, it was a Checkpoint firewall. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Juniper, well, NetScreen had stuff, right? That, and Juniper had stuff and Cisco had Cisco stuff. Had and, stuff. Uh, yeah. Yep. Right, Microsoft tried for a while, um, uh, and and there were others, and mm -hmm. uh, but really it was it was a checkpoint. That's you had a checkpoint, and well, then Palo Alto came, and, and Palo Alto is the category king, and they they kind of they kind of changed the category, right? It wasn't just you had to have a firewall; did you have a next generation firewall? Oh yeah. For what it's worth, I still don't know what that means, but hey, that's really kind of fascinating. So, I, I the Palo Alto thing I got um, the checkpoint software that was kind of a surprise for me in, in Cisco, right? They're a venerable company. Uh, I think it's really kind of interesting. You notice it wasn't any of the unicorn stocks. It wasn't any of the new IPOs. Like the, right. these are not really new companies, even mm -hmm. Palo Alto. They're not that new. So I just, I thought it was interesting. Those of you watching, I'm really curious. What do you think? How many of you are using these companies? Um, do you think, you know, I mean, to your point, we, we're not in the advice game here, but um, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> and not in terms of investing no, yeah. in stock, I should say, as far as where you want to put your investments in security companies, Sure, we just kind of you know covered that. Um, but in any case, all right, nationwide, they are not only on your side. Uh, they have a hundred million dollar investment fund. Here's what I thought was really interesting. Two parts I'm going to call out, and I, I should have um, highlighted these because I cut and pasted them. So I'll try to fix those in the show notes. It's a movement to help the insurer stay relevant in the insurance and financial services industries at a time of great technological change. We've talked about uh, cyber insurance and insurance in general. And I've had a chance to, I've done a couple series on it now. I've started getting deeper into the, to the world of insurance. The reason that so many companies are excited about cyber insurance is that insurance as, a, as an industry is, um, it needs something to revitalize its profit margins. It needs something to, to help it get better at what it does. And so this kind of goes that way. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they've acknowledged that. Here's the second part, though, that I think is just as interesting. Their investments. They said, this is where we want to focus. Retirement planning. Okay, whatever. Insurance and financial services. Yeah, no surprise. And protecting the information of consumers. Right. There you go. So they have flat out said, we got $100 million, and we're going to go take a look at security startups. Um, I've got a couple people. I'm going to see if they'll come on the show, if they're willing to, at other large organizations. They're not at Nationwide. Some are at insurers. Some are at household brand names that you would know. And they are meeting with security startups on a weekly basis, looking for anybody that can help them solve problems that they don't even know they have yet. Security startups so new taste team. so good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's got it. 
what what I think is also interesting in this then is as two things. It's not just technology companies now setting up funds. It's not just in, in the the private equity money coming in. It's not just the venture funds setting it up. You have household names saying, "Nope, we're 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 taking money and we're going to start investing in startups and we're going to pay attention to those startups." And that means that either they want to profit from it or they want to be able to purchase them and bring them in house. It means they're moving that research and development off book for them to maintain their profitability, for them to maintain whatever they need to with their investors or their board. They don't have time for that risk. And so what you're finding is everybody's, the way that they're de-risking is they're moving it off book. So they'll say, yeah, you know what? I'll spend $100 million, by the way, right? Over what? The next 10 years, probably. And uh, we're going to look for some stuff that we think is interesting. And if it's interesting, great, we'll bring them in-house. What that means then is we're going to see a lot more exits that that go to that. So you've, you've got a startup and today you might be saying, well, I can IPO or we're just going to bootstrap it or you know, we'll go to one of the big companies. Yeah. Or a consumer company is going to buy you because you're solving a really cool problem that they have. So I just, you know, and you and I very early in the program said, like, don't badmouth people. Like, just go do good work and make a difference. And all I'm pointing out is we keep seeing this as a trend coming back and back and back. Companies are looking for solutions in security and privacy. They are looking for exits. They are creating all sorts of new funds. There's a ton of ways to get yourself funded if that's what you need. Um, but if it's something you're interested in, I, I don't see any shortage of opportunity in this space right now. And on that, last one of the week, Cisco acquired SpringPath, $320 million. Now, the best I could find, and I, I cross-checked Crunchbase and Aller on this, um, the funding is reported as 30, $34 million over one round, but it's papered as a B round, which means like, well, so was there an equity? Like, I, I don't, that doesn't feel complete to me. Gosh, that's a hefty multiple. I mean, you know, we see some of these things trade at like five or six, at least over investment. This is almost 10 times. It's, mm. you know, eight, nine times over multiple. Wow, that's that's pretty hefty. Um, but again, you know, SpringPath develops an enterprise-grade data platform that enables server hosting applications to store, manage, and protect data. I honestly don't know what that means without unpacking it better, but yeah. to protect data. Some, someone thinks Cisco is going to get a big return on that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was a, it was a slow week. It's a, we're coming up to the end of the summer and I, I think we'll start seeing stuff pick up again as, as the year goes on. But, uh, that's, that's some of the stuff that we got, you know, from a journey perspective, um, I am recalibrating. We told everybody last week about the brain, uh, the brain audit stuff and the, some of our books and I'm, I'm working back through the books, um, and figuring out the category for me, it's, it's value translation and it's helping people use straight talk to translate that value into understanding, uh, helps people create the connection that lets us elevate performance and accelerate results. And I'm so I'm now going back through all that and unpacking that and taking a look at it. Um, we're looking at, at doing some um, high performance, right? Individual one-to-one -one coaching. I've, I've had a number of requests for it. And so I've, I'm like, all right, let's do it. Um, looking at redoing some workshops and uh, thinking about the way some of these things work. So it's, it's exciting. Like it's, I've, I've realized it's not a pivot. This is, you know, it's almost like a correction. Like I've kind of paused and I've got a couple of great clients I really love working with. And I'm looking at now, how to help more people and, you know, maybe manage to enjoy a little bit more time with my family at the same time. So it's, it's been good. That's been kind of fun. How about you guys? How's the summer been? Good. Well, you know, we've been focusing on security weekly as of late, uh, as we're kind of beginning one of our, uh, sales cycles, uh, here at security weekly. And I have, uh, as Michael and I met uh, this morning and saw some of the results of me kind of reevaluating some of the, uh, value propositions for security weekly specifically, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited. 
Because my, Michael didn't have much in the way of corrections of what I had put together. No, so I, was I was really like, excited yes. about it. Like, like, yes, I, I, I nailed it. it. I nailed it. <laughs> I, I had some. I have some questions, but otherwise, like, I really liked it. So it's good. It's good. No, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, and you know what? I like the fact too that we talked about you know the ability for people to partner with us. And as I've already said, like, I what I love about this platform is it's it's advancing the industry and benefiting the community at the same time. And yeah. and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the. You know, we call them sponsors, but the the people that partner with this program, I've learned much from them. I've enjoyed those conversations, and and uh, the, some of the things you were telling me in terms of the benefits that they get in return, I think is fantastic. And and what I hope too is that if you're listening and you've gotten benefit because we've brought you people that you didn't know about, and we've shown you and helped you cut through the noise to figure out who, because we've done that diligence. Uh, and and you know, Paul and and company were picking people that that we like. You know, that, that's a benefit. So let us know. Let us know the benefit you're getting from that because then we're going to keep finding great people to be part of this program to keep solving these types of problems. So and, that and was exciting. If I've, you want to sponsor sponsor the show, sales at securityweekly.com. <laughs> happy to do that. Make suggestions. Perfect. We're happy to, to use our, especially if you're a listener and you get benefit out of it, right? So make some suggestions. We'd love, we'd love it. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching this episode of Startup Security Weekly. We will see you next time.